right, well, Merry Christmas. I don't know if all of you are still celebrating, but being someone who typically works on the weekend, we oftentimes, to get to both families, it gets stretched out a little bit, and so we still have a couple more celebrations to go in the Ocel household. So uh, This year, we decided to do something a bit more stripped down for this Sunday that is closest to Christmas. We wanted to give classroom teachers a little break here while also valuing our corporate gatherings. We still wanted to gather together here as a church. And given this dynamic, uh, if you have younger kids in here, uh, I don't want you to feel pressure. Um, We did this intentionally. And so there's likely going to be more commotion and little voices as part of this, and and that's totally fine. So um, I've planned for that a little bit. So this may be the shortest sermon in the history of Center Church today. So uh, I've got just a, a short reflection on Luke 1 and tried to incorporate a little bit of thoughtfulness towards the kids as well this morning. Uh, so let me, uh, let me read these verses and, uh, and then we'll work through them. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray. God, thank you for these verses which usher in, which pronounce something that is in many ways, unbelievable. Help us to believe it. Help the arrival of Jesus and his life to to radically change our hearts. Not just a one-time event, but day by day, over and over, hour by hour, minute by minute, ongoing change to become more like Jesus to be people who are hoping and trusting in something so much bigger than ourselves. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do this morning is I just want to make two observations from these verses, just two brief observations. So first of all, though, I want to just give a brief summary. So we've got an angel, and the angel's name is Gabriel, and he is coming to a woman who is largely unknown to people at this time, aside from her family. And he's telling her that she is going to become pregnant and to bear a son. But she's not going to bear just any son. She is going to bear the Son of God. So this is the announcement of God's Son, whom Israel had heard about throughout the ages, whom Israel knew as the Messiah. So this is the announcement of God's Son coming to earth to seek and to save those who are his own. Now we see in Mary that this creates 
worry. She worries, but she also trusts. Okay, so that's our brief summary of what's going on here. Two observations then, all right? The first observation has to do with the interaction of the natural and the supernatural realm. So supernatural realm. So these are things that are happening outside of nature, okay? We can't go into a scientific lab and prove them. There's really no explanation for these things. They're defying the laws of science. So in these verses, there are both explainable realities, things that we can see with our eyes that we can test, and there are unexplainable things being talked about here as well. But the way in which they're interacting, it's as if it's assumed that they just cooperate with one another, that they are related. The natural and the supernatural are related to one another. So on the natural side, we have a woman. A woman who is named Mary. We understand this. We see people all the time, right? And they have names. And this woman feels the human emotion of being troubled. We feel many emotions. This woman, Mary, is pledged to be married to a man who also has a name. His name is Joseph. They are what we would call in our culture engaged. They're actually something a bit different, but it's the closest thing we have in our culture, the idea of engagement. Now, they are also in a city that is called Nazareth. If you go and look on a map, you could find Nazareth. And there's things known about Nazareth as well. The city is known for being unimpressive. It is located in a region that is called Galilee. So, so all of these things are natural realities. We could observe them, we could note them, we could look on a map, we could touch them, we could smell things, we can feel things. These are all natural realities. And we are, we are people who live in a natural, physical world. We are people who are troubled by sickness, troubled by cancer. We are people who are troubled by stressors at work. Children. You are troubled when your sibling maybe takes a toy that you are playing with, right? This is something that you experience, you feel, you encounter probably regularly. We live in cities that are on a map. We could go and look at a map and see, oh, this is where Fridley is. This is where Coon Rapids is. This is where Plymouth is and New Brighton, right? We can observe these cities on a map. So these things are known. They are acknowledged. They're part of our physical existence. So there is a natural reality to what's going on in these verses. But there's something else going on here as well. The man Joseph and the woman Mary are confronted by an angel, Gabriel. Okay? And this being, this angel was sent by God himself to interact with Mary and Joseph. But it's not just the fact that this is an angel, and it's not just the fact that this angel was sent by God, but this, what the angel says is what is particularly troubling. He tells Mary that she will be, become pregnant through unnatural means, and she will bear the Son of God. 
Now, have you ever had an instance in life where you received news that overwhelmed you? That news could have been good, or that news could have been bad. But news that overwhelmed you. Uh, maybe for you kids, maybe, maybe your parents told you at one point that you were going to get a puppy. And for most of you, that would probably be really good news. Maybe for some of you, that would be bad news if you're scared of puppies. Or maybe they told you that you're going to get something else that you longed for for a really long time. You'd been hoping for this thing. Or this can go the other direction as well. Shocking news that someone you loved has died or suffered a really serious injury. In these moments, it can feel like everything is swirling, like we're overwhelmed by what's going on. We process this news haphazardly. Questions begin to flood our mind. Feelings of love or maybe feelings of abandonment, loneliness or giddiness come rushing in. We, we have these questions flooding us, thinking, what does this mean for us? Or why me? Or how will I go on? How will I handle this? Overwhelmed. When God created Adam and Eve, before sin entered into the world, the natural and supernatural intermixed without hesitation. So, God talked with his creation. This supernatural being, God, talked with these physical creatures that he had created. And these physical creatures, Adam and Eve, enjoyed the natural aspects of rivers and of trees and of fruit. And so what we see is that the supernatural was natural. This was normal. But then when Adam and Eve sinned, the supernatural, God, was pushed away. He was distanced. Relationship was fractured. And this is not how things were supposed to be. Not how things will eventually be either. Since that time, when sin occurred, God has been reconciling. He has been reuniting himself to his people. And the Bible teaches that the end of all things, when that occurs, it will be Jesus uniting himself with his church, drawing near to his people. In that moment, the supernatural will be coexisting with the natural. And so this is the direction that we are headed. Reconciled to Jesus where the supernatural is natural. And this is what we see in these verses here in Luke. The supernatural angel comes to the natural realm of Mary and Joseph to deliver a supernatural message. The interaction of the supernatural within the natural is common, normal. And the thing is, God continues to work in supernatural ways today. In our natural world, in our everyday lives. Maybe the most understated way in which we encounter this is every person who believes in Jesus, who believes the gospel, has experienced this supernatural miracle. Faith in Jesus is not something we can just well up 
on our own. This is a gift that God gives to us. He works in us and draws us to himself. And this is the greatest example of God's supernatural work in the world today. Okay, so we've got supernatural and natural interacting. The second observation I want to hone in on here deals with the favor of God and the corresponding trouble that that favor creates. So that angel comes to Mary and names her as the favored one. The favored one. Now, this type of designation is something that any of us would probably want spoken about us. We would love to be the favored one. Kids, you oftentimes might feel like the one who is favored is the one who gets to choose a movie that we're going to watch as a family. Or maybe in your house you have this example where on your birthday you get a birthday meal. And so the favored one gets to choose whatever is going to be eaten on that day or in that meal. Or maybe the favored one gets not just a portion, but a bigger portion of whatever the treat might be. It's not just kids, though. Adults also have a yearning for favor as well. When year-end bonuses are getting dispensed, we desire a favorable bonus. Everyone enjoys being patted on the back for their efforts, recognized for their work. None of us needs to work at wanting to be favored. We all want to be recognized. We all want to be affirmed. We all want to be favored. It is a natural desire for us. Now, when the Bible talks about favor, though, there's an idea that really comes toward, to the forefront. And that idea is grace. This is ultimate favor. The fact that God looks on us and cares for us is the greatest demonstration of favor. God favoring us. Now, grace comes to us in different ways. So there's grace that's known as common grace. So the rain that falls down and waters the ground, that's considered common grace. It's common to everyone. Everyone receives that grace. Or the light and the heat that comes from the sun. This is common grace that everyone experiences. But there's another kind of grace as well, and that's saving grace. The fact that Jesus came as a baby and lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross for our sins. When we believe in that, that's an example of saving grace that's particular only for those who are receiving it or believing in it. So grace is God's kindness to us when we don't deserve it. Maybe when we don't expect it either. Now, kids, have you ever had a sibling or a friend give you something, give you a gift, share something with you that surprised you, that you didn't expect to get? Maybe as a family or maybe as adults, you've been out to eat sometime at a restaurant and someone in the restaurant pays for your meal. You don't know who it is, but unexpectedly someone pays for your meal. Or have you ever had someone give a gift that was so thoughtful 
it led you to tears or left you speechless. Sometimes there are things that are so good, they seem too good to be true. Too good to be true. And this is God's grace. This is why Mary reacts the way that she does. In response to being called a favored one, we read that she is greatly troubled. We can imagine her in this moment speechless, looking at those surrounding her, searching for answers, filled with wondering about what is going on, what does this news mean for her, for her life, for this child? What does this all mean for her? We can imagine her feeling mixed emotions that might make her want to, on one hand, laugh with joy, but also cry because of concern or consternation as to what this all means. And this is the nature of God's salvation. It is so good that it can be hard to believe. We don't deserve God's kindness. We don't deserve Him chasing after us as we're running away from Him. When we look at Mary in this exchange, we're given no reason why God came to her. Was she impressive? Was she noteworthy? She wasn't. That's not why God came to her. In her instance, and for anybody who believes the gospel, the favor was unexpected. The favor was unexplainable. And this is the gospel. God saves those who don't deserve it. He forgives not just our sin, He forgives our worst sins. The worst thing you have ever done, that thing that you don't want anyone else to know about, God knows you've done that. He's fully aware of it. He knew you would do it as He climbed up on the cross as well. He knows you fully. He knows your mess fully. And it didn't stop Him. His favor is so favorable that it creates feelings of trouble. At least it should. If we understand how favorable grace is, it will create feelings of trouble. And it's not that God intends to trouble us. It's that we live in a world where we're expected to perform. This idea that whatever you give, that's what you get. So if you're lazy, you should expect to get less. This is the world of karma, right? You, you get what you gave kind of thing. You hurt somebody, you should expect to get hurt in the future as well. The gospel is not karma. When we fail, we expect punishment. But what does God do? He comes and he takes that punishment upon himself. He forgives. He gives grace. And this is glorious. This is the best news in the world. By far. Not even close. This is the beauty of grace. 
we are given what we do not deserve. God's kindness. And the favor of God, what we read about here in Luke 1, is going to result in Mary giving birth to the Savior of the world. She's giving birth to the Son of God, who's referred to here as the Most High. And Jesus is going to reign over all peoples. It says of Jesus' kingdom there will be no end. Every other dominant civilization this world has seen has crumbled. And we can clearly see the fractures and the disunity in the so-called United States of America. The beginnings of crumbling. But Jesus' kingdom will not collapse. It will not. And this is why we can be hopeful. This is why we hope in Jesus and his kingdom and not in the United States of America. In the face of difficulty and adverse circumstances, we can persist in hope because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of what he has done, because of grace. So I want to end with just one gospel application that flows out of, that's, I guess, explicitly in these verses, but then flows out of these verses as well. And we read this in Luke one thirty. The angel says to Mary, and we read this as spoken to us as well, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. As a father, I can look back on my childhood and I can see things in myself that I see in my children now. And as a father, I know that my kids deal with nightmares. I understand that this world is filled with many scary things. And my kids feel that. They get scared by many things in this world. And this is why we need to be reminded of Jesus. This is why Jesus came. And notice how he came. Not just as a conquering warrior, which we see eventually, but he came as a cute baby. This baby who needed to be held, who needed to be protected. He came into the world just like us. This is how we all came into this world, right? Unknowing of everything going on around us, dependent on our parents to provide for us, to protect us. Now in this, in this world, Jesus has no intention to scare us. But he tells us that we will encounter trouble. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And he tells us that because we exist in this sin-filled world in which we are guaranteed trouble. So he's preparing us. Even in telling us that we're going to encounter trouble, this is grace. Because he's preparing us for this reality. It's not as though we should think, In the Christian faith, we trust in Jesus and everything's fixed. No, in this world, in this Christian life, you will have trouble. 
But, despite this, even in the midst of this reality, we do not need to be fearful. We don't need to be scared. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome. Fill in the blank. What's that thing for you that you're terrified of? What are you scared of happening? Kids, how are you scared for your parents? Is there something specific you are scared of? Jesus is bigger. He has overcome that. Parents, what are you scared of? We all have those fears within us. Jesus is far stronger than the scariest thing we can imagine. We all need to hear this preached at us. Jesus is far stronger than the scariest thing we can imagine. His grace isn't designed to trouble us, but to overwhelm our troubled spirit. To overwhelm our fear. And as he overwhelms our fear and our troubled spirit, what rushes in behind that is peace. Knowing that he is enough. Knowing that he has us. There is sin in this world. There is sin in our hearts. And all of this will trouble us. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is. He forgives sin. Which mean, means he resolves it. In this, he cleanses us. He moves our sin away from us. We must simply just trust him to do this. Not get on a treadmill and work really hard to run somewhere we can never get to on our own. But we trust Jesus to forgive our sins, to do what we cannot do ourselves. So the call then for us in this, kids and adults, the call for us in this is whatever those scary things are, don't fixate, don't focus on that thing. Don't focus on the bad things of this world, but fixate on Jesus. Focus on him. He is better. He is stronger. He is our Savior. And this is the beauty of the Christmas story. He comes to save us by his grace.